Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy Monday, everybody. The first Monday in April. How time is flying by. Whoever would have thought when 2020 started and we're thinking about the vision of this year that we would be living what we're living right now. But the good news is, is that my guest today is David Blue, and I want to welcome you to the show, David. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Marcia. It's great to be here. Well, it, I think the timing of you being on the show is ideal for those of you that, that don't know what this uh, topic is going to be today. Uh, David is the creator of the art of self-regulation, and he'll be talking specifically about what that means. What's particularly special to me is that David actually was on my show when I was in the studio of LA Talk Live, which is where I started three years ago, five years ago is when I started, but that it was September 14th of 2015, David, when when you were on my show. And what I want people to know is that, frankly, we've known each other a very long time. We both share um, a, a total interest in basketball. So I've known about you since your since your days in high school and college and beyond, and it's just a pleasure to to have you be with me today. And I thought we could start off. I, I said a little bit about how I know you, but I thought what you could talk about is just to tell our audience just a little bit about yourself. Okay, that sounds good, Marsha. I guess I can kind of give you just a, a brief overview of um, of my life here. So I was born in L.A. Um, Grew up in Marina del Rey, Culver City area, and was a basketball player right from the start. Um, I always like to tell the story about how I was born in 1980 in July, and that was uh, 75 days after the Lakers and Magic Johnson (laughs) won the NBA championship. And I like to say how uh, my mom was probably watching the game while you know, I was still in her womb, and so I was destined to be a professional basketball player. Um, But um, I grew up watching the Showtime Lakers, loved the game, wanted to play in the NBA, um, spent my days and nights playing on my front yard hoop and down at the park. Um, eventually, I became uh, the best player in high school basketball. Uh, and as you know, you're a, you're a Comet, a Westchester Comet as well. So, um, yeah, and that's how we kind of first got to know each other was, was at Westchester. But um, uh, I became the best player in L.A., uh, the best player in California, and earned a scholarship to USC, University of Southern California. So uh, at USC, I was there from 1998 to 2002. Uh, we had a great run um, as a basketball team during my junior year, getting to the Elite Eight, um, losing to the eventual champs, uh, Duke. Um, and then my senior year, we were upset in the tournament. And after high, uh, college, it was on to the pros. So um, I didn't get drafted into the NBA, um, had a few teams that were really interested, but uh, 
didn't get that, uh, that become that draft pick that I always wanted to be. So um, I took my talents to Europe, uh, as, they, as mm-hmm. LeBron James liked to say. Um, my first team was Maccabi Tel Aviv. Um, because uh, my mom uh, was Jewish, I was able to get Israeli citizenship and play in is- uh, Israel as a local player. Um, so therefore, they could bring over more American players. Um, so I started off in Israel and then um, played a couple of years. And after my first couple of years in Israel, um, I signed a non-guaranteed contract with the Sacramento Kings. So that was my first shot at the NBA. Didn't do well as I had hoped, so I was released. And then I moved to uh, Russia for a few months, St. Petersburg, Russia, and then to Italy for a couple of years. I lived in Treviso, Italy, and Bologna, Italy. Um, and then after that, I played a year in France, in Le Mans, France. And then it was back to Tel Aviv. Uh, after 10 seasons as a pro, I retired from basketball and went back to USC in order to finish my undergraduate degree in sociology. Uh, so it was at the time that I was back in school at age 32 um, that I thought about getting into the American basketball industry as a coach, broadcaster, or uh, athlete represent, uh, representative. Um, none of those uh, career paths really uh, stood out to me as something that I I just really wanted to do. Um, And so I never quite um, pursued those uh, to such a degree that, you know, I pursued playing the game, let's say. So after um, I graduated with my bachelor's at age 33, uh, with no real job prospects in the American basketball industry, I decided to return to professional to playing professional basketball. And so I went back to Maccabi Tel Aviv in Israel. um, And I was 33 at the time and I stayed in shape during that year off. So I was able to come back and be effective right away. Uh, That year we won the European championship. um, And I probably had one of the best years, if not the best year of my career. Um, Mm -hmm. So in, in all that 11 years of playing professional basketball, I had the opportunity to travel all around the world, um, you know, uh, learn about different cultures, um, try different foods, see all types of different um, landscapes, uh, and really uh, become a citizen of the world. Um, At that time, I also was really developing um, very deep practices in self-care and physical fitness because I really had the desire to become a great athlete. Um, And so I I did a lot of reading and researching about different techniques that people have used throughout time to uh, heal themselves, develop uh, energy and and maximize their human potential. And so Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of what I did towards the end of my career. And it really helped my game excel. And then I retired in 2014 after winning that championship. um, And that was the end of my playing professional basketball. Well, so what's life been like after you um, r- retired from basketball? What what came next for you? Um, so during my final year it, for Maccabi Tel Aviv, I had um, decided that I wanted to get into business 
um, most notably real estate. And um, so I, during my free time, during my last year as a pro, uh, I studied real estate online. I took my 135 hours. I studied um, uh, health insurance uh, and life insurance. Um, and I networked with different uh, political leaders in Israel, business leaders, um, as well as um, uh, most notably Jewish um, business people in Los Angeles. Uh, so when I retired from professional basketball, I came back to Los Angeles. Uh, right away, I got my real estate license, and I started a job as a uh, commercial real estate agent with a boutique firm here in L.A., uh, shortly after, um, you know, getting into that industry and and doing all the cold calls and all the things that you have to do to start off in in the real estate business, um, I I decided that I wanted more of a steady career, so I got into um, financial management. So I uh, got a job at Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor and um, studied and passed studied for and passed the Series Seven and the Series uh, 66, which is Securities and Exchange Exams. Um, and I became a financial advisor. And uh, I did that for about a year. And in fact, that's at the time when I was on your show uh, was when I was still working at Merrill Lynch. Um, and I think I wore a suit to your show as well, you if did. I remember correctly. It was yeah. visible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and so then after, after working as a financial advisor for about a year, uh, I felt like I wanted to get more out into the field and have a little bit more flexibility with my time and wardrobe. And so I decided to um, get into life insurance sales. And, you know, I, I had a mentor and I learned a lot about life insurance and some of the different tools you can u utilize it for um, to create wealth. But uh, I was finding it challenging because most of the people that I knew were in their 30s. And, um, you know, a lot of people in their 30s are not planning. They're kind of in survival mode here in Los Angeles. And so not, not everybody was looking to buy, you know, life insurance. So at mm -hmm. that time, I was, I was stuck. Um, didn't quite know what to do. So um, uh, I began work as a trainer. So I was training uh, high school kids in basketball um, and really, really enjoying that, working with teens, uh, teaching them about emotional intelligence and rhythm of the game and um, different, different concepts that are not normally taught uh, to basketball players, things like visualization and breathing techniques to help maximize your performance on the court. Um, and then school was starting, so it was time for me to get a regular job. And so I started working at uh, Lululemon, which is um, – uh, yoga clothing company, which I absolutely love and had such a wonderful time working there. Um, and where I really started to discover uh, the value of, uh, of health and wellness mm -hmm. um, because of the culture and also because of the time. So that's kind of a time when I started to develop this uh, art of self-regulation course. Um, well, you know, that's, you know, all, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Dave. Let me let you finish your thought. Well, I was going to say also during that time, um, while I was going through all of those different transitions, I also had a few tragedies in there. Um, one of the big parts about my, my life was um, at 14, my mom passed away from cancer, and I started uh, drinking alcohol and abusing alcohol in high school and then all through college 
and then all through my professional career um, and didn't realize that just because I retired from playing basketball that I could retire from uh, drinking and some other bad habits that I was participating in. Um, and so then about uh, in 2016, towards the end, my best friend, who was a Major League Baseball player, he um, died by suicide. Uh, he also had challenges with retirement and figuring out who his, what his identity was, who was he, and he was um, uh, doing, uh, abusing drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I was right there with him. And when he died, that was a very traumatizing event in my life. And so I decided that uh, I needed to, to get help. So I stopped with some of the substances that I was using, but kind of kept on um, drinking. And then um, a couple years later, another one of my childhood friends died, who you know, uh, Billy yep. Knight, basketball player. And then I realized that I was on that same path. And so... Um, I checked myself into a detox. I was there for four days. They helped me with the withdrawal symptoms. I got out and I've uh, been sober since. So it's been a little over 600 days. I'm so proud of you, Dave. And yes, Billy Knight in some ways brought the two of us together. Um, it certainly wasn't his plan, but it was the universe's plan for us to be connected. And, and for that, that we are connected. I am so very grateful. Let's let's spend the rest of this show talking about what you have your passion for. And I, I had let people know that we're going to be talking about three particular subjects, but you do have a program. You are the creator of the Art of Self-Regulation, and you do have a website for those of you that would like to check out your website. It's really very simple. It's just Art of selfregulation.com that's where you can find Dave's website but I want to know Dave and I'm sorry I, I I knew I would go back to calling you Dave because my son's name is David and I call him Dave and I apologize it's going to just flip out I wrote myself to call you David but I, it's just I'm sorry we're friends it's Dave's is going to come out I have to apologize I, I, I hope that's okay um, I wanted to know, what is your inspiration behind why you've even started this course of creating the art of regulation, of self-regulation? Well, so the, I guess the inspiration was um, health and wellness. And, um, you know, during my playing days, I was very motivated to uh, be in great shape to, 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 to discipline myself with regard to my body and what I was eating and how I was sleeping. Um, and I did it for a couple of reasons. One was to um, become a great athlete outright, but also it was to balance some of the negative things that I was doing. So, you know, if, if you, you can't continue to live a fast party type of lifestyle and continue to play basketball unless you take the healthy, healthy uh, aspects of life to the extreme. So when I retired, I, I lost touch with those healthy aspects of life, um, you know, preparing my own food, kind of counting my calories. These things I did as a pro, I stopped doing them when I retired. And so the effects of the negative aspects of the things that I was doing started to catch up with me because I wasn't able to balance with positive. And so once I got sober, 
Um, and even just in the first three days of my sobriety, realizing how good I felt, I decided that it was time for me to, to, to bring back those, um, those lifestyle habits, the good lifestyle habits that I had as a pro. And so as I was doing that, I was sort of writing all of this stuff down as I was remembering it, and it started to create this course. Um, the inspiration for kind of how it all came together um, was, was my own personal uh, health situation and, and improvement, but also it had to do a lot with uh, Bruce Lee, who was one of my idols growing up as a kid. Um, Bruce Lee, he, he tried these different, uh, different martial arts, and uh, he, he found a way to incorporate all of them into his own program. And his own program um, uh, and book, the book is called The Art of Jeet Kune Do, um, is a compilation of these different martial arts and Western fighting styles, uh, as well as basic physical fitness routines, kind of put together in a roadmap for people to read and follow and um, adapt to their own way of, in his case, fighting. Uh, so my program is in the same vein of um, putting things together, incorporates different practices that I use during my playing days. Practices such as um, Qigong, uh, Tai Chi, which are um, Chinese uh, philosophies and practices, as well as um, Kundalini Yoga and Vinyasa Yoga, Flow Yoga, which are uh, more Indian philosophies, um, also uh, South American um, uh, groups such as the Toltec Warriors uh, and how they had inner battles with different demons and traumas that they dealt with and how, how do you deal with those things, um, as well as Western science, um, just wow. understanding dynamic stretching and static mm-hmm. stretching, nutrition, uh, and, and breathing mechanics. And so the art of self-regulation really is almost about 20 years of my own personal practices that are designed around um, researched and widely written about um, practices that come from around the world. So it's basically all of these, all of the best of all of these different um, philosophical and physical practices put into a course so that a person can learn this course and, and, and know a little bit about all these things that they can then use to tailor to their own lifestyle. That makes total sense. Let's spend some time. We're going to try and get through three major topics. One's going to be self-knowledge and what that is. One's going to be about the respiratory system, and one is going to be about nutrition. So let's get started with with some identifications and glossary terms. So when you talk about self-knowledge, what does, what does that mean? What does self-knowledge mean? I think in a, lot of, in a lot of different places you see that word used, self-knowledge, it's usually used in the sense of spirit, talking about your own spirit, yourself, your true self. The way I like to use self-knowledge or think about it is knowledge about your, yourself, your body, what's in your body, how does your body work, how does it operate, what is the order of operations, um, what, do, what do your body parts look like, uh, 
how can they be strengthened, um, and how they can also be weakened. And so I think that um, in any sort of program, um, if you know the, the foundations, if you, if you understand um, what things are, you're going to have an easier time um, learning how to control them. Um, in, in basketball, it would be something like um, if, you, if, you, if you know how to shoot, if you know the, the mechanics of shooting, if you know what, what, what things you should be looking at or focusing on, then you can begin practicing shooting to become a better shooter. If you have no idea about the mechanics or what shooting a basketball even looks like, you, you won't even know where to begin. And so that self-knowledge for me, yeah, for me it's a deep understanding of the physical and mental aspects of our humanness. That's really, that's a great description. So why do you think that's important? Well, because um, we can't, as humans, if you don't know, if you're not aware of a problem uh, and you don't treat the problem in time, then the problem can compound and become a much more serious problem. So if you don't know what's happening inside your body, then you won't necessarily know um, what to, to look for or what to feel to know if your body is running at an optimal level. Um, if you don't know uh, about um, uh, dehydration and you get a headache and you have no idea what dehydration is or what it can do for the body, then maybe you're just going to have a headache and, and not really be able to or not feel empowered to take action to, to stop that headache. So if you, know, if you know what's going on in your body, then you yourself can take steps to help yourself before it gets to a point where you have to go to a professional to help you. That makes sense. That, that, I, boy, if there was ever a time, right, David? If there was ever a yeah. time to know about what's going on in our bodies, how did how did you begin really learning about the self knowledge? Did this go back to like you? Did, I I I hear the corollaries um, as as an extreme, you know, as a as a an elite athlete. Extreme isn't the word I wanted. As an elite athlete, you really like you said you've been doing this for nearly twenty years, right? Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been, I, I, so as far as, as breathing goes, I, I started learning techniques while I was in college um, 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but with regard to self-knowledge, a, a big part of it had to do with um, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, I, I grew up with asthma and allergies. Uh, and I still have those um, issues today, just not as much. But when I was a kid, uh, I used to have to get shots once a month and, and use an inhaler. And, um, you know, when I would go to the, to the doctor, they would, they would show me the images of lungs and, and, and the, the diagrams and stuff and kind of explain things. And then when I was in high school, I had my first knee surgery uh, my senior year. So I kind of learned a little bit about the structure of the knee and how, you know, important some of the aspects of, of, of knee health are for an athlete and really for anybody. Um, and then as I got to college, uh, I really had the opportunity to learn a lot from uh, high-level athletic trainers and um, orthopedic surgeons. I had two knee surgeries in college. 
Um, and, and so I learned about those. And then uh, a big shift for me was when I got to the pros. Uh, once you become a professional athlete, you are completely, you become completely dedicated to your body. And so because it's your job, you want to make sure you know everything about the tool that you're using so that you continue to improve your game um, and improve your status in the professional community. So uh, really a big step for me was my rookie year towards the end. Um, I met a masseuse in Israel, and she um, turned out to, you know, a decade or two later, uh, she became, you know, one of the best masseuses around. But I remember... Um, when I first started working with her, she had um, charts up in her, uh, her studio there, and she would show me kind of areas of the body that were, I was having pain in, what they are, why they're having pain, and things you can do to stop the pain. I also had athletic trainers um, that were very um, knowledgeable about the body, all different parts of the body. And when you're an athlete, at some point you have pain in all the areas of the body. And as you go deeper into your career, you learn more about these problems. And so mm-hmm. um, as, I, as I went through my career, I was very mindful. I was very observant. I asked a lot of questions. And I was curious about my own body and how I could heal it and get back out on the court faster and play at a high level. So, you know, informally, I started learning about self-knowledge as a kid. And then when I got to college and on to the pros, I really became dedicated to learning about my myself so that I could, you know, play at a high level. That makes sense. Are there any specific aspects of self-knowledge that we should know about? We're not all six foot seven professional retired right. athletes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, I think that probably a couple of the most important things that people should um, consider learning about is inflammation in the body Um, because inflammation can happen in all parts of the body and it prevents healing in parts of the body and can cause pain. Um, The other aspect that I think is really important is uh, respiratory health, which we will talk about here in a few moments, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think for, for me, uh, if I was going to advise anyone about things to really focus on, it's respiratory health um, and nutrition. Uh, mm-hmm. Fitness, you know, fitness, you, you can do what you can do. Um, you know, if you can't run, you know, you can ride a bike. If you can't ride a bike, you can walk. If you can't do those, you know, you can just do breathing exercises, and that helps with respiratory strength. But definitely, um, stretching is a huge, huge um, aspect of overall health that uh, I highly advise. And that was something that I started to pick up in the middle of my professional career and become very serious about, and it really helped me physically. So stretching, nutrition, uh, respiratory health, un- and understanding how inflammation affects the body and also how cortisol, which is the stress hormone, affects the body. Those are very important aspects for, for one to learn about. Okay, well, that's a perfect segue. We think we, we think we'd have planned this together. So let's talk about that respiratory system because not everybody knows what that means when you talk about the respiratory system. And I must say, your website is fabulous, 
and you're doing some wonderful YouTube videos, which I absolutely also love. We should talk about, but because you actually demonstrate it, I mean, sometimes hearing it is one thing, seeing it is quite another. And so, what? In just a brief couple of sentences, are there about what is the respiratory system? What does it represent? It represents our ability to take in oxygen and um, remove carbon dioxide from our body. We have an upper respiratory system and a lower respiratory system. The lower respiratory system is, is primarily the lungs and the diaphragm. And the lungs are separated into different uh, compartments, lobes, we call them. And then the mm-hmm. diaphragm is a muscle that it sits below the lungs. And then the upper respiratory system is the, like the nose and the mouth um, and the tubes that go from your nose and mouth down into your lungs. And so that's the, that is sort of in, in one or two sentences, mm-hmm. the respiratory system and what it does. Got it. Like I said, um, what's your tell, tell me again, why don't we just mention this right now? What is your, how, if people wanted to see you on YouTube, how would they find you there? So my channel on YouTube is just Art of Self-Regulation. Perfect. Uh, I put a a couple of videos up there, and I'll continue to add more. Um, And then you can also see those on my website, uh, artofselfregulation.com. Perfect. So why, you know, could there be a better timing? Why is it important to know about the respiratory system? (laughs) You said it, Marcia. This is what's going on. This is the talk of the world is the respiratory system um, and, and COV-19. Um, the respiratory system, why is it important to know about it? If you don't know about something, you can't correct that. If you don't know what the problem is or where it lies or uh, how it came to be, then you cannot solve that problem. Um, and so understanding what the respiratory system is, at least you have a building block as to where you can begin to improve the function of the respiratory system so that you are not in a situation where you can't breathe on your own or you have trouble breathing. Um, so that's, that's a big reason why it's important to know about the respiratory system. It really is, isn't it? And, I know I've learned so much about these topics from you because I didn't know that there's, you know, just I guess it's the glossary, Dave, the glossary of understanding lobes in your lung and how that how that breathing works. I, the breathing to me, and and I've been saying I've been saying this for months now that well before um, the coronavirus, I always sort of saw myself as the anxiety side of life. I was up there. You know, it didn't take much to to rile me up and get me anxious and and nervous and stressed. And I have found, because of you and because of my yoga practice, which you you encouraged me to do, that that breathing that you're just describing, and it, 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 it doesn't come overnight. You, I watch what you've done, and I understand that you've been doing this for a very long time. But if you don't even know, like I didn't even realize personally how far, singers know this, how far when you take in a really deep, determined, intentional breath, 
words that you use, intention, and you get that down to your lower belly, like the Michelin man that you're that you like to talk mm-hmm. about. You didn't. I didn't even know that I could do that. I didn't even know that that was an important thing for me to do. And I think that that's maybe what you could spend some time talking about now. If if people take one or two takeaways from this show. And I and nutrition is another one that's highly important, and we I want to give you ample time to speak about that. But can you talk specifically about the breathing and the mindful breathing? Let's 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 delve into that a little bit. Okay, yeah, and you know the thing the thing about um, you know understanding is that we didn't I, I didn't learn this stuff in school. Uh, I didn't learn it in college. Uh, I, I don't think unless you actually take a specific course, this is taught to most people. And it should be because it has to do with all of us. We all have lungs. Um, and, so, and so it's important to, to recognize that we, our lungs are, are like any other thing in our body. It, they, can, um, they can atrophy and become weak with neglect. And they can also strengthen uh, and become uh, more powerful and more efficient with practice. Um, these are not aspects that are talked about uh, in the mainstream media, um, and, and perhaps they, they could be, um, just to give people a little bit more empowerment uh, to care for themselves. But, um, you know, understanding that the, the, the lungs are three lobes in the right lung, and there's two lobes in the left lung and there's two lobes in the left lung in order to make room for the heart. And so we call the lower lobe, the inferior lobe, and we call the upper lobe, the superior lobe. And in the right, we have the middle lobe. And, um, when we're born, uh, right when we, um, come out into the world, we, our lungs fill up and then we start screaming and yelling and we are, building up that lung capacity and through the first year of our lives we are using all of our lungs um, to make to cry to to let sounds out and we're practicing that and on into our childhood we're still you know uh, not thinking about it but we're still mindful of taking in a lot of oxygen Um, as we start to get to the ages where uh, cortisol begins to um, uh, course through our bodies or stress as we become, as we, we get to these ages of, of where we become to get stressed, we, our breathing becomes shallower and shallower um, until, you know, we are at a much older age and we are only using the top fifth of our lung capacity. Um, and what that's doing is when we're able to take full inhales, we're able to um, move blood in a much more, uh, more efficient way. We're able to get more oxygen to the blood, which is producing more uh, blood cells, which are used to fight off infections. If, as our breath becomes shallower and shallower, we're not able to take in as much oxygen and therefore not able to produce as many um, blood cells that are used to fight uh, viruses and bacteria and also not um, uh, able to reduce the effects of, of stress. Uh, and so by learning techniques to take, to reprogram uh, yourself uh, to 
fill up those lungs, um, you're able to increase the size of your lung capacity um, and elasticity and also take in more oxygen, which will therefore produce more red blood cells to fight off infections and also um, develop um, uh, oxytocin, which is the happy uh, hormone. So uh, by taking in full deep breaths of air, uh, with intention, as well as, uh, you know, uh, different mantras and visualizations, which I teach later on in the program, um, we're able to lower our cortisol levels, which is stress on the body. And as we know, stress is the number one cause of illness. So just by developing a breathing practice and developing the ability to fill your lungs up with air and exhale, you are teaching your body to lower the level of stress in your body and therefore um, give it a chance to heal and get yourself out of a fight or flight uh, um, physiological response and into a rest and digest, which is more calming. Really, you know, the wonderful thing about a podcast um, is that you can go back and re-listen to this because, honestly, I'm trying to take notes. Maybe others are doing the same thing because your information is so valuable. It's it's really like a master's class. And mm-hmm. I I know that for myself that I didn't even, like I said, I didn't even realize how deeply you should be breathing um, you, there are lots and lots of different breathing techniques. One of the ones that, that I like, Dave, that, that you've talked a lot about with me is, I think, is it called the four-point? Is that, is that the, the square, square, square breathing? Could you tell square people what breathing. the square breathing is? Square breathing is what it sounds like, where if you think about your if you think about your breath in um, different stages, you have the inhale and then you have the top of the inhale, you have the exhale and you have the bottom of the exhale. So square breathing is where you inhale for a certain amount of seconds. And usually you start off with four seconds and then you hold that inhale for four seconds and then you exhale for four seconds and you hold your exhale for four seconds. And so you're making a square between your inhales and exhales and the gap that is between both the inhales and the exhales, and you're creating a square. As you do this practice and you're able to increase your seconds, you are um, increasing your lung capacity. Uh, You're also um, uh, teaching yourself how to uh, take deeper and longer inhales and exhales, which will have a very beneficial effect on uh, on yourself. And, okay, so while we're talking about the square, because you and I have done this together, we've done it even when we've walked, where should your shoulders and your head be? Anytime you're doing a breathing exercise, you want to be mindful of keeping your shoulders relaxed. Um, a lot of times when people are stressed out, or they are constantly thinking, um, their shoulders tend to rise up and all of the action that's going on in their body, all of their energy is in their heads. And so our, our shoulders, our necks tense up, which then brings our shoulders up. And so the whole 
one of the major points of deep breathing is to relax the body. And um, if you're mindful of where you're breathing and you're mindful of your shoulders, naturally you're going to feel more relaxed. The shoulders, when you're doing breathing exercises, should not be involved at all. The goal is to focus on your respiratory system and targeting the energy into that and relaxing every other part of your body. Um, the shoulders are challenging because they are so close. Um, and like I said, when we're, when we're thinking a lot, our shoulders tend to tense up, especially uh, men. That is a, so that's an area of men that uh, we keep a lot of our stress and traumas in our shoulders. And so for a lot of men, their shoulders are really tight, shoulders and necks. I know mine used to be like that. And then um, as you mindfully practice relaxing them and lowering them, it sort, of, it sort of takes its effect over the whole body. So definitely as you're doing any breathing exercises, being mindful of your shoulders will be key. You know, uh, one of the ways that you could, that I have found as a beginner in this process is really you could do it in front of the mirror and Great. you can actually observe yourself and you can see, oh, my gosh, he's right. Look at my shoulders. Drop those shoulders. Relax those shoulders. And the other thing, you know, when people think about yoga, because I know you, you, you practice yoga, um, a lot of times people think that yoga is strictly, no, not strictly, but, but posing down dog and all of these terms that people use, warrior and all these terms that's like I don't what is that? I don't even know what that means. It sounds like I can't do it, so I'm not gonna try. Or if I get on the floor I can never get back up. There you don't have to do this breathing um sitting um on a pillow on the floor with your legs crossed. You could be sitting mm. at your desk. You could be sitting um you could be laying in bed. You could be doing this any place. You could start your day with this kind of breathing. It's almost as if you, if you, it's like a practice. That's why they call it a practice. And you only get better with practice. But you have to decide if you want to be in the game. If you're not in the game, you're not you going to practice, right? It doesn't, exactly. you know, there's I mean. A, there's a saying. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say there's a saying, practice makes perfect, um, but actually perfect practice makes perfect. And so um, we practice breathing. We humans practice breathing all the time. We breathe between 17 to 23,000 times per day, and we don't wow. even know it. Um, mm -hmm. The average human takes about 17 breaths per minute. Um, and so you're practicing breathing all the time, but you're not necessarily practicing the right way. It's when you start to be more mindful um, and learn how to slow your breathing down that you're beginning to perfect your breathing. So right. definitely looking in the mirror is a great way. Um, and as you said, you can practice breathing anywhere because you're going to practice it anyway. But if you're doing it mindfully, then you're developing tools that can help you forever um, uh, with regard to yoga, uh, we here in the West have categorized yoga as, as you said, down dog and up dog and cat cow, when in reality, yoga just means union. It means union of breath and body and mind and spirit. And so you can practice yoga by doing anything 
that combines your breathing with your movement or a pose. And that pose could be sitting down, just sitting down in a chair, practicing Mm -hmm. your breathing. You're practicing yoga. Um, And so that's kind of a misconception that yoga, what you're talking about is a vinyasa flow yoga. So that's a type of yoga. The other yoga, which I sort of introduce in the art of self-regulation is what's called kundalini yoga. And that is where you are actively moving energy to different parts of the body. So that's a different type of yoga, but it's the conjunction between the movement of energy and mindful breathing that are bringing those two together, which is, which is a form of yoga. Well, well said. Let's spend the rest of this time together, and I, I wish this was a two-hour show, but I believe, honestly, what this will probably be is a part two show because you have so much knowledge to share Let's let's talk about nutrition because, as we both know, that's really vital in where we are today along with um, the breathing and our respiratory system. So what is the difference? Maybe you could explain this to me. What is the difference between a diet and nutritional habits? Good question, Marsha. Um, you know, today I think we as uh, um a society, we're usually looking for a quick fix for something. So if we want to lose a certain amount of weight, we're searching the website for something that's going to help us lose a certain amount of weight in a certain amount of time. Uh, Those are great jump starts, but the problem is that once that certain amount of time is over, um, sometimes people revert to their habits. So developing nutritional habits is something that you want to incorporate as part of your lifestyle forever, not for a certain amount of time until you reach a certain point, but something that you do every day for the rest of your life that will promote health and wellness. A diet is going to give you um, guidelines to follow for a certain amount of time and restrict you from eating certain things, whereas nutritional habits are learning about um, foods that are good for you and bad for you and simply avoiding the foods that are bad for you and eating the foods that are good for you. If you create a habit of avoiding bad foods and eating good foods, you're creating habits for life. You're not just creating something you're going to do for 30 days and then go back to eating the unhealthy stuff. You're creating habits. Um, It's said that habits, it takes like 21 days or 30 days to create a habit. And so creating a nutritional habit based on nutritional facts help you in the long run because then you um, develop certain tastes for different types of healthy foods. You learn how to cook healthy foods, and then it becomes second nature um, to avoid unhealthy foods and maintain your good habits. That's a great description. So people are listening and going, okay, so what does that six foot seven athlete eat exactly? So let's tell tell everybody about what what your diet what your not your diet, because we just learned that's not the term. Right. What are your nutritional habits? What do you eat? Great. So you know, it, it, when I was up until about twenty five I ate whatever I wanted. Um because I would just go out and run and, 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 and sprint it all up. And then when I hit 25, I realized that it was a little, my metabolism was slowing down. It was a little bit 
harder for me to keep the weight off. And so I, I sort of slowed down on a few foods. Um, by the time I got to 27, I, I really got disciplined. So 27, I stopped eating gluten. So I cut out breads. And even though the guys on my team would be eating breads and pastas, um, I transitioned over to rice and potatoes for my, for my more complex carbs. Um, I, I, I stopped eating uh, red meat around that time and sort of focus on um, fish and chicken. Um, and that really helped me uh, for the rest of my career. Um, as I've retired and, uh, you know, not needed as many calories on a daily basis, um, you know, I've main, I, I maintained the, let's say, gluten-reduced diet, although I'll have some, some cake every now and then. Um, if it's available. Uh, but for the most part today, what I really try and focus on is eating foods that are high in alkaline and low in acid. So um, acidic foods uh, are things like alcohol and milk and meat uh, and different substances that can cause inflammation in the body. Uh, our bodies are, they are a certain amount of acid, and so our diets should have a certain amount of acid, anywhere from, you know, 20% to, to 30%, but most of the foods we eat should be alkaline-forming or anti-inflammation. So um, I still, uh, I, I avoid gluten because gluten is acidic. Um, I stopped eating meat because meat is acidic. Um, but I still like my, you know, yogurt every now and then on some granola, but then the rest of the day I'll have vegetables, I'll have things like almonds, um, a lot of root vegetables, a lot of green vegetables. Um, so I try and stick with a more alkaline diet. So it, it's not so much about giving up certain foods um, for a certain amount of time. It's just now it's just focusing on sticking with alkaline foods for, for the rest of my life because I know that acid causes inflammation in the, in the digestive system. It also causes inflammation. And once inflammation gets into the digestive system, it goes to all other parts of the body. Um, hmm. Wow, that's, that's – that, you know, we're all looking okay, – we're all trying to figure out how to eat right now and how to go to the store and – and what we're going to do to some people, you hear about people that are actually overeating because they find themselves in so much and they're not exercising so much and, mm-hmm. gee, doesn't pasta sound good? And, you know, you, it's, it's like you say, it is absolutely developing a lifestyle that has a nutritional habit. And um, this, is, this is really what you're emphasizing. Um, One of the things that I'd like you to talk about, because you and I have talked about this as well, and that is the value of right now drinking um, hot tea. What what is it about hot tea that's so important? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, hot tea is, first of all, it's it's comforting. It's something to do. It's something to, if you're a snacker uh, like myself, rather than going and grabbing my second handful of cashews, um, because there are some, you know, you don't want to eat too much of anything. Um, drinking tea is a great supplement. Drinking tea in between meals can help you feel full so you're not snacking. Um, and it's also very warming depending on which type of tea you're drinking. Um, with regard to where we are today with the coronavirus outbreak, um, viruses cannot live in hot temperatures. 
And so what's happening to people is, is uh, um, if, if they are to get a virus in their mouth, it stays there for a while before it goes into your respiratory system. By drinking hot tea, you are two things. You're, you're, you're killing the vi- any viruses or bacteria that you have in your mouth and pushing them down into your stomach where there is acids and healthy bacteria that will um, destroy any viruses or bad bacteria. Um, There's also different types of tea that do different types of things. For instance, ginger tea is very good for calming the stomach. Uh, Turmeric tea is very good for uh, as an anti-inflammation. You know, there's other ones like peppermint, and other minty teas that are great for uh, clearing the nasal passages. Um, and even just drinking hot water is good because, as I said, it's pushing any, anything that's in your mouth that shouldn't be there, pushing it into your digestive system. Also drinking hot tea, especially in the morning, is good to activate your, um, in yoga it's called the triple burner, but I, I, I'm just calling it the liver and the stomach and digestive system getting those functions, those, those aspects of the body functioning early on in the day so that your metabolism is, is ready to go for what's ahead for the day. So drinking tea is it's a great idea, you know, in between meals, um, in the beginning of the day, and also even drinking some chamomile or lavender tea at the end of the night is very relaxing and helps relax the body. You're even hearing, you know, it's, we're all getting our news and the way we get our news, whether it's my habit of putting on, you know, the, the the local news in the morning and then following it up with national news and then saying, okay, I've heard enough, turning it off, coming back to news maybe at the dinner hour and just seeing what I might have missed during the day. You know, we are really all in this. And so, you know, I, I'm trying to, for my mental health, which is truly something, Dave, that they're not talking about, um, you know, you you drinking that tea is like you say satisfying, and it's also for me it's also calming. It also gives me something to do. What do you think about our mental health and knowing about our mental health during a crisis like this? Well, you know, mental health. A lot of issues with mental health have to do with feeling that you cannot manage the situation, um, and so. If you are someone that likes to be able to know when something will happen, how you're going to come out of something, then when they tell you to stay in your house for who knows how long, it can be quite a scary thing. So, you know, one thing that, um, you know, with regard to mental health and self-regulation, if you know what's happening in your body, if you know the things that you should be doing and the things that you should not be doing, then you're going to feel more empowered to focus on the things that you can control. Um, You cannot control what goes on outside of your house, let alone outside of your body, but you can control what's going on inside of your body. So if you take your level of comfort to as long as you can control what's happening in your body, then you will feel empowered, then that will lower some stress. That will help people that are dealing with certain mental health issues to feel like they have more control of what's going on. If people are taking care of themselves, if they're practicing breathing exercises, 
if they're eating the right foods, if they're getting the proper amount of sleep, if they're doing all these things that they know is going to help their bodies, then that will lower some of their stress that they feel about getting sick. Because the, the, the thing about viruses and sickness is that it's not so much curing them or taking a medicine that's going to make it go away. It's all about treating the symptoms of the sickness while your body heals itself. For instance, if you have a fever, Tylenol does not just make your sickness go away. It just reduces your fever. Your body eventually makes the sickness go away. And so if you create habits that you do every day, then if you do get sick, you're able to withstand the symptoms and move past the symptoms easier than if you have an underlying condition which makes complications, symptom complications, more regular. Either way, the body has, a, let's say, an internal pharmacy that can heal itself if you give it the amount of time. The amount of time you give it to heal, the, the supplements you give it, the nutrition you give it, really, Marsha, the love that you show your body uh, is how your body will show you how much it loves you by helping you get through symptoms and hard times. Wow. They should be inviting you to be on some of these shows, Dave. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And, and, that, and that takes us right back to why we did this show to start with. And that is that you do have this program of art of self-regulation. And I know it's in the early early stages, and I know that you're continuing to do your YouTube. I think the fact that your YouTube is physically demonstrating because they can see what your, what your body is doing. Um, please don't be intimidated by the fact that this man is in very good shape and all of our bodies do not look like <laughs> his because that, that isn't the point. The point is sometimes you just need to understand by, for me, visualizing what it is that you're talking about so that I can implement it. And I love what you said about our body having um, an internal pharmacy. I don't think anyone's ever said that. And something that I've been saying when we, when we talk about mental health, and I can't overemphasize it for somebody like me, yes, social distancing is important. I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with that. But as a person that really, I tell people I'm a 70-year-old millennial, but as as somebody that really, really enjoys the aspect of social media, there is no distancing there. You can you can read what you want to read. You don't have to read everything that everybody is posting. But clearly, for me, because I do have a presence on Facebook, I'll use that as an example. And I can see that there are people that are on Facebook at the same time I am because so many of us are home. It's so nice to be able to reach out to someone that is not expecting to hear from you and all you simply say is, how are you feeling today? Imagine what that feels like to get that from somebody that you're not expecting to get that from. So for me, part of um, my healthy lifestyle and drinking that tea, be mindful of my diet, be mindful just in general, and understanding that stress is not a friend to us. We don't need stress in our life. We need calmness in our life. Maybe for me, 
calmness might be making that phone call in the evening. Maybe for somebody else, calmness is reading a book or doing a webinar or just, you know, uh, my my yard couldn't be more beautiful right now with the amount of rain we've had here to just sit outside and just take it in. Take in my, I had a butterfly land on my hand this last week. It, it actually landed. I It was hovering. And I thought, oh, my God, and of course I had my phone with me. And I had my phone in my left hand. I put out my right hand, and there was that butterfly, and it just landed. I, I don't know if I can describe the peace that that provided me and, and the one, and oneness with nature because we will come out of this. And in some ways, we may be more spiritual and more mindful and more grateful and more appreciative. And that's not to minimize people that have very ill family members, and my heart goes out to all of those people and to all of the people in the medical world. You know, the guy that delivers my newspaper, the, per- the our mailmen, our male women, our male people, people that are still in our markets, and I know they're recommending that we don't go as frequently as possible, but if you're ordering online, somebody's bringing that to your home. So, you know, we've got to just be strong. You've given some great tips. There are a lot of more tips on your website. Someday you're going to write a book. There's a book inside you, right? (laughs) You got it. You said it, Marcia. Definitely. And and real quick, what you're talking about is, is the essence of humanity. We humans were meant to love each other and care for each other, but it has to start with yourself. And by learning how to regulate your body functions, regulating your nutrition, regulating every aspect of your own personal life, that will allow you to be in a position to love others. And you, you've done quite a great job of that in your, in your community and being so caring. But definitely a huge part of our well-being is our community, is our friendships and our relationships, and especially our relationship with ourselves. What a perfect ending. What a beautiful way to conclude this. And I really see us doing this again in a few months and talking about some of the other aspects that you that that are that are brewing within you. But for now, I'm going to just thank you so very very much for for being a part of this with me, for joining me again as I journey through this experience of being a, a, a podcaster. I never would have imagined that for myself. Um, next week I will be celebrating my fifth year as the host of the Born to Talk radio show, and I'm going to have Mary Hewitt and Perry Denzel on my show, and they're from the Boys, the Association of Los Angeles Association of the Boys and Girls Club, and we'll be talking about what they're doing because our youth are really in this as well, and we need to protect them and care for them and make sure that they're doing okay. But as we love ourselves, we can also love others. So thank you, Dave, so very much for for being a part of this with me today. I've greatly appreciated it. Thank you, Marsha, for having me. Okay. Everyone, be safe. Bye for now.